Thank you so much, Luke. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is an honor to be here this morning, uh, part of the church here. So good. Um, how many of you have uh, your Christmas trees up in your home already? Oh, there's a few of us here. Okay, this is a great. Uh, I'll, I'll be. Um, we set a record this year in getting our tree up. We had our tree up, I think, on December first, which was new for us. We're usually kind of a December twenty third kind of family. That's that's generally what we're shooting for, but. You know, this year we said, hey, let's kind of create this sense of um, excitement about what's to come. Do you know what I mean? And so we do different things to help, help build this, this idea of, of expectantly looking forward to, right? Which is really what the Advent season is. It's this, this sense of being expectant of, of what's to come. Um, you know, life is full of different expectancies. So my, um, my son right now is in the middle of a great season of expectation. He is uh, working on getting his driver's license. And, um, and, and of course, this is a, um, as you can imagine, there, there's a lot attached to this expectation. In fact, in fact um, I mean, it's heavy because he has this vision of what his life will look like once, his driver, once he attains his driver's license, correct? There'll be this new sense of freedom. He'll have, a, he'll have a, a place of status with his friends. He is the driver. That's very exciting for him. Um, he doesn't need his parents to be babysitting sitting him everywhere, at least that's how he perceives it, and trust me, his parents are really excited about not babysitting him everywhere as well. We had a little bit of crisis on the journey the other day, so um, he, you know, he booked his, his driver's test for kind of in the, in the middle of, of November, and then, um, and then at the beginning of November, he comes to me and he says, Dad, I've rebooked my driver's test. I'm like, oh, really? For when? Tomorrow. I'm like, oh, Okay, uh, so we've got to get a few things together here, uh, which meant making sure our cars were ready to be used well. Now, I'm a youth pastor, and part of youth pastor culture is that you have multiple lights turned on on the dashboard of your car, okay? So that's just, that's kind of what goes with, with youth pastor culture. And so I, I said to my son, I said, well, son, like, we can't really use that vehicle uh, there's an eco light that's on that one. Dad hasn't gotten to and fixed that one yet. And, um, and, and Jen had just got this new little RAV4, but we thought that's probably not the best because you haven't driven it very much yet. And it's, it's an American vehicle, so the big numbers are in miles per hour, not kilometers. And then we thought we would use the car, which was perfect, except when I took it out to get it ready, all the lights came on. So it's like a, it's a 2006 hybrid. It was the first generation hybrid. And right at that moment, all parts of the hybrid decided to announce that they were done being, you know, busy doing their job on the car. So, so now we're, we were in this crisis mode because his great expectation, you know, looked like maybe it wouldn't come to fruition. And so we decided that we would use the RAV4. So um, I said, okay, son, I think you can use a car. It's great. Except I had in the back of my mind that maybe it wasn't quite as ready as I thought it was. You see, I had, um, we had just got the car from friends of ours in Alberta, and so when I'd taken it in three weeks earlier to get the licenses for it, um, when the lady at BCAA gave me the license plate, she only gave me one license plate. And, and now, because I was from Alberta, I thought, oh, maybe BC is kind of shifting over to the way of most of the other provinces in our country, and we're only going with one license plate now. And I'd read or heard a little bit before that that BC was looking to move towards one license plate. So when she gave me the plate, I just kind of thought, oh, we've made the transition great, put it on the back of the car, and I thought that was awesome. Now, 
over those three weeks, as I drove around the city, I noticed that we were obviously the very first car to go with one license plate in BC. You know what I mean? And I thought, and it's fascinating to me that in these three weeks, no one else has relicensed their vehicle. And so that got me thinking, maybe actually I'm not supposed to have just one license plate, maybe two. And so when, when Peyton announced that he was going to do his drivers, I immediately went online and discovered, oh no, BC has not gone to two license plates, uh, or gone to one, sorry, they've gone to two. And so I had to go to my son and I said, buddy, like, we can't do your drivers. We're not ready for it yet. And we have a little work to get ready for it. And so that was a very sad night for us. Well, I'm lying in bed that night and I don't know how, you know, God chooses to speak to everyone. And I'm not sure why he chooses to speak in different ways that he speaks. There's something in the scriptures about young people getting new visions and dreams. Well, I wake up from this dream at about five in the morning thinking to myself, hey, what if they didn't actually give me one license plate. What if they actually gave me two license plates, but I didn't realize they'd given me two license plates? In fact, what if my car actually had two license plates on it and both were in the back? And so I wake up and I go, maybe we can fulfill the dream. So I run outside, I get my screwdriver and I take it off. Sure enough, two license plates right on the back of my car. Screwed them both on there. Took them off, put one on the front, ran inside, and I said, son, your salvation is here. You get to go for your drivers. So exciting. That was, that was the beginning of a joyous day that turned into not so joyous, and so we continue to have expectations for what's next. So we continue to move forward. You know, um, one of the reasons why I think my son is so excited, because there's this sense of if I can just achieve this, my life will be complete, you know. And... Um, and we love having things in our, in our lives that we look forward to that really say to us, hey, if we can just achieve this, life will be complete. It's fascinating to me, you know, as I, as I think about all the different things in our journey right now that are creating this sense of expectation and forward-looking, how difficult it is for me to cultivate that kind of a disposition when it comes to Christmas and the reality of Christ. Isn't that true? That there's just, you know, this is the season of expectation, the advent of the coming. But man, it's hard to just create this space or this disposition where that really does become the focus. Where Christ really is the center of what absolutely thrills our heart. And as I was reading through the scriptures, trying to cultivate that sense in my being, I came across the story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Now, the story of Simeon is really interesting, right? Because usually when we think of the Christmas story... We kind of end at the journey of the shepherds coming, you know, to experience um, Christ in the manger. And we have the wise men that come and experience Christ. There's sort the shepherds in the home. Um, and we have the wise men come and experience him in the manger. And then we kind of end and we move to a later place in his journey. But there's this wonderful story in Luke chapter 2. And it's actually about 40 days after Christ is born. We know it's about 40 days after. Because Mary and Joseph have brought their baby Jesus to the temple to be um, circumcised, to be, to be prepared, to go through kind of the process in their custom of saying, we dedicate our child to God. And so they come, and there's this prophet Simeon who meets them when they come to the temple. And listen to what happens when Simeon meets them. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him upon his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Do you hear that? He sees Jesus for this for the first time, and it's like, my life is complete. I'm good. I finally met the Christ child. And he goes on and he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Meeting with Christ was absolutely satisfying for Simeon. And I asked myself the question as I looked at it, what was it about his journey that allowed him to experience this deep peace, right? He said he's at, he's at peace, he is whole, he is satisfied. His life is complete in his experience with Christ. And it's interesting what it says in verse 29. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You see, Simeon had a vision of what was to come, right? He saw the Christ child for who he really was, and that transformed and changed his sense of expectation and the fulfillment of peace in his being. You know, I think the number one reason why I so often struggle with the right kind of disposition towards Christ, why I struggle with not experiencing that deep sense of peace in terms of my journey with Christ is because I don't see Him well. Because the the point I think that we're seeing here is that, that our vision of Christ dictates our expectation of Him. And our vision of Christ transforms and shapes our experience of Christ. And Simeon had this beautiful vision of Christ. And I think there's three things here that Simeon saw so clearly in terms of his journey with Christ that for me have become informative again as I head into this season, just going, okay, Lord, how do I have the disposition that you would call me to? That Not just that you would call me to, that would be really appropriate for the reality of who you are. Do you know what I mean? Like, if this is actually who you are, Christ, if you are the one who comes to bring peace, to bring wholeness, to bring shalom, you know, why do I so rarely seem to experience that the way that I should? And how can I move with you and step with your spirit so that I can be a place where that can kind of become defining of my reality? Here's the first thing. I think the first thing about Simeon that was so wonderful is first he saw his need for Christ. He was, he was clear on his need for Christ. So verse 25, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Here's what he says. He says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This, this word consolation is, is a beautiful word. It's this idea of comfort or encouragement or solace. Consolation um, is when God comes to heal, restore, and revive all that has been lost or thrown away. And it was, it's, you know, this beautiful video that we just saw, this sense of peace is when restoration comes, when renewal comes, when recreation comes, when, when things are made right the way they were supposed to be made. And um, Simeon was living in a time when things weren't right. They weren't, they weren't right. They were, they were broken. And he saw that clearly. And he acknowledged the brokenness. The Israelites were chafing under the occupation of the Romans. They, they yearned for deliverance from their Gentile oppressors. They longed for the restoration of national sovereignty and national blessing. They longed for the realization of, of a new covenant, a new way of being, of living. 
they were not satisfied and they acknowledged that things weren't good. You know, it's, um, it's not easy for us to create good self-awareness, is it? To become really honest where things are at in our journey. We, we avoid that, especially when things aren't, aren't right or things are taking place that, that we're not proud of. That sense of self-awareness doesn't come quickly for us. And I, and I think especially, you know, when it comes to our brokenness, we're not, we're not quick to step into our brokenness. Um, I know for me, one of the reasons why I don't like really acknowledging brokenness, even in my own journey, is, is I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy how that's affected me or affected others. So I keep myself often busy. I try to fill my, my schedule full. I, I look to things to satisfy, to give me a sense of fullness or a sense of significance or a, or a sense of position. You know what I mean? And we all have different things that we look to to fill that in our lives. And so I, I try to avoid the brokenness by, by, by looking to these other things to, to create this, this in me. Um, the other thing that, that I think I tend to do to not acknowledge the types of brokenness that I so often experience is I, I tend to fake it, <laughs> right? And, you, you know, it's interesting when we, when we come to church. Uh, uh, church is such a beautiful place. And I love so much Sarah on stage because there's just like, hey, look, I'm crying. This is my honest reality that I find myself in. I love that so much. It's so un-Canadian of you, Sarah. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably, you know, you know, there, there's, there's, there's something wonderful about good social awareness that we don't just spill ourselves wherever we are. Uh, but yet what's beautiful about the body of Christ and about community is that, is that we come to a place acknowledging that we are actually a broken people. This is all of us. And when we really begin to understand who Christ is, we begin to realize that um, Christ is probably the safest place for broken people to come to. Because Christ became broken for us, right? If, if anyone understands our brokenness and our need and our insufficiency, Christ does because he took all of that upon himself when he came to earth. When he began as a human being, as a baby born in a manger in the midst of brokenness and chaos and, and, and destruction. He, he came within that, but he came as one within the brokenness to bring the peace. It says in Isaiah 53, 4-6, it says, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. You know, so often we tend to hide our brokenness or hide from our brokenness. Uh, but one of the beautiful realities of being a follower of Christ is he calls our brokenness into the open. He doesn't ask us to ignore our brokenness. He doesn't ask us to pretend our sin or our brokenness doesn't exist. You know, I think so often within our culture, you know, as a way to try to deal with, with this type of brokenness that we live within, uh, you know, our, our, our culture says, A, either we, we, we ignore the brokenness and we look in the mirror and we tell ourselves that we're awesome or great. Or we tend to try to redefine the brokenness and say, hey, maybe it's not so bad after all. Maybe that's okay. Unfortunately, as human beings, we can't function well within either of those narratives, right? Because in the quiet moments, we, we, we aren't allowed to lie to ourselves. The truth is revealed. We actually are broken. We actually do fail. Our relationships have tensions and struggles and difficulties. 
and this is true. And, you know, our community doesn't ultimately function well when we simply live our own way and we say, no, no, my brokenness is actually my wholeness. And, we, and when we begin to understand that we can't live that way as community in harmony, Christ comes in and he says, no, no, I have something other. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend. However, when I come, I come not to just remove. I come to recreate. And he steps into our brokenness and he takes it upon himself and he places his rightness on us. And this is the great expectation of Christmas, the reality that Christ came to our brokenness to bring wholeness, to bring peace. And so we don't have to avoid, pretend it doesn't exist. We simply come to him. And Simeon understood this. He knew there was a great need and he looked to all these other things, but only Christ could fulfill that need. And that led him to the second reality. This truth that he, he knew that Christ was the one who could come and meet the deep need of himself and his people. He goes on and he says this, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He comes to God, the creator of all things, and he says, this is your way to salvation. This is your way to peace. He says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You know, the Israelites had tried all sorts of stuff to kind of fix their brokenness. But it wasn't working. They, they looked into their military might. It wasn't working. They looked to their resource. It wasn't working. They looked to their religion. It wasn't working. Nothing was working. You know, we have the same journey. We search for salvation in all sorts of things. And, and you know, we, we, there, there's just this natural disposition within us, I think, where, where that's kind of this movement because we're always longing for, for this idea of purpose and identity and fulfillment. And so we look to different things. I, um, I made an announcement to my boys uh, just the other day. Um, I, I'm, I'm busy doing some studies, continuing to do my studies. And and I'm doing some thesis work. And so I, I, I let them know that I changed the topic of my thesis work. Um, I'd shifted from working on the issues of gender and sexuality. And now I've, I've shifted into um, taking a look at technologies and how social media in particular um, shapes the faith formation of adolescents. And as soon as I announced that, I not only heard an audible groan from both of my boys, but they actually both violently, violently turned upon me. In fact, my younger son said, Dad, why are you always trying to wreck our lives? That was actually the statement that he gave to me. That was, that's almost a direct quote. And of course, the reason being, you know, my boys love their technologies and they love their social media platforms and they love their video games. And every time their dad begins to start reading or studying in this area, I'm always coming to them and saying, hey, boys, I think we've got to limit some of these things, you know? And, and Cole would always say, like, Dad, you, you are like the worst parent ever. You always read stuff to tell other parents how to wreck our lives. Why? Please stop. And, you know, right now in particular, of course, the piece of technology uh, that they're speaking to is their video games and Fortnite in particular. How many of you have experienced Fortnite in some way, shape, or form in your home? Oh, if you haven't, you obviously do not have a child. Okay, so uh, most of the world who has children have experienced this video game, Fortnite. Fortnite is, is this, this global, this incredibly global phenomenon that's taking place. It, it was launched in September of 2017. 
It currently has about 8.3 million players uh, that are playing. Uh, sorry, 200 million players. But any one time, you'll find up to about 8.3 million people playing. Um, in September, uh, they had their highest number of different game players playing globally. They had over 78 million people playing Fortnite in the month of September. The uh, average amount of time a Fortnite player spends with the game per week is about 6 to 10 hours. And um, it's estimated that revenue from in-game purchases, just making purchases, within the game to help you play better or differently have reached more than $1 billion. It's about a $1.2 billion industry right now. Okay, So, so Fortnite is like, this, this is the dominating narrative of, of many of, of the kids that, that engage with my son. And they play together. So they play online together with all of their friends and they love it. It was interesting. I was reading an article on Fortnite. What's made it so powerful? And there's actually three things. Number one is accessibility. Anybody can play. All are welcomed. And you can play on almost any platform right now, which by that what I mean is a video game console, a PC, a Mac computer, your iPhone, Android, or, or Mac, doesn't matter, Apple. You can play on almost, anyone can access it. It's free to access, so, so everyone can join in. Of course, once you're joined in, then you want to purchase different things so that you can kind of level up or be better or show yourself off, which leads to the second part of it. It's very social. I mean, you have to play with others. So it creates this social phenomenon that you get to engage with one another on. And then you get to create your character and do new, new things with your character, which is a way of establishing or pursuing your own personal identity online. So there's something really powerful there. In fact, it's fascinating for my kids. When we remove Fortnite and we came to this conclusion, we began to realize we're not simply removing a video game. We're actually removing them from a social experience. So not only does it you know, take up their time as they play in the evenings, when they get to school, it becomes the center of their conversations. And all of a sudden, you know, we're killing their friendship circles, right? Like in the midst of our journey with them. And then finally, it's a spectacle. It's, you, you know, you get to watch and enjoy, and there's all sorts of different characters and experiences. And even, even when your game time is up, you can continue in the experience by watching and interacting with others as they continue to play. So it's powerful. I was reading a book by a lady named Jane McGonagall. And she said this. The book was titled Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World. And she said this, that, that games give intrinsic rewards essential to our happiness. They give a satisfying work. They give the experience and hope of being successful. There's social connection and there's, there's deep meaning. It, it's almost as if our games are bringing us salvation. Unfortunately, like many of the things that we look to salvation, often good things that we simply turn into, you know, um, good things that become ultimate things, that ultimately they let us down because we actually weren't created for these things. You know, even when you take a look at Fortnite, the type of brokenness that it actually brings into the world when it doesn't fill its appropriate place as a good thing but not an ultimate thing. I was just reading and it was said that that in the UK, over 200 divorces have been linked to the experience of Fortnite. That there's a case of aggravated harassment where a 45-year-old man threatened to harm and kill an 11-year-old boy because he beat him in Fortnite. And all of a sudden, we realize these things are revealing a sinfulness and brokenness in us. And we look for salvation, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't produce what it offers. It leaves us wanting. And Simeon understood that everything other than Christ was leaving him wanting. 
And instead, when he saw who Christ was, when he came, he realized that Christ was the only one who could bring what ultimately he needed because not only was Christ his Savior, Christ was his Creator. So he knew him better than himself. And so he, when he met with his Creator, he knew that he could make him who he was originally designed to be because this was Christ. We, um, we run conferences right now across the country to train youth workers. And um, I had the opportunity to interview Sean Brando for our conferences this year. Now, Sean Brando was the chaplain of the Humboldt Broncos. And um, he was one of the first on the scene at the bus crash that killed, you know, 16 young people in Saskatchewan uh, last spring. And so I had the opportunity to meet with Sean. And and if any of you happen to watch the memorial after the um, crash took place and the memorial in Humboldt, you'll know that his message was maybe... One of the most powerful gospel messages that our country has ever experienced nationally was just this really beautiful, clear engagement with the reality of who Christ is and what he does for us in the midst of our pain and hurting. And it was wonderfully received right across our nation. And so I talked with Sean about that. I asked him why he thought um, he was given that moment. I asked him what led up to that moment. And then I, I asked him the question. I said, Sean, what have you learned about helping kids in crisis. How do we help and journey with kids in crisis? And he just stopped for a second, then he said, Sid, you know, it seems kind of like silly, maybe almost naive, but you know what I learned? I learned that we need Jesus. Like, we just we just need Jesus. We need to experience Christ in the very center of who we are. We need to know that the God who has created us is the God who walks with us and the God who is recreating us even in the midst of the brokenness around us. We need Christ. Simeon understood that that only Christ could fill the need that he had in the core of his being. And I think every once in a while, what I need to do is I need to just stop. I need to create some space so that I can think and be aware of and just meditate on the reality that, man, I need Christ. That only he is the one that can truly step into the midst of the brokenness and the sin in my life And he can bring forgiveness, and he can bring restoration, and he can bring redemption. He brings peace. He brings wholeness. And he renews us. Simeon had this beautiful vision of Christ. He understood his need. He was aware of his need of Christ. He understood that only Christ could fill his need. And then third and finally, he realized and saw that there was a cost to following Christ, and he embraced that cost. You know, it's interesting near the end of this passage, in verse 33 to 35, he says some interesting things to to Mary as, as he speaks a blessing on them. Listen to what he says. He says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed to the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Did you hear that? It's really interesting. He's he's excited. He's he's thrilled. He has a sense that his life is now complete. He has the child with him. And then he turns this blessing. It says that he blesses Mary. And the words that he uses, I'll be honest with you, they don't sound like a blessing really, do they? I mean, listen, listen to what he says. He said, behold, this is his blessing. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
You know, it's interesting to me, Christ came to bring peace, absolutely. But when I begin to take a look at what Simeon is saying here, I realize that one of the ways that he comes to bring peace is actually through types of conflict. And mostly conflict within us. It says that Christ brings peace, but he but he brings it with a sword. This is the language that Simeon is using. He says a sword will pierce through your soul also. It's almost as if he's coming to pick a fight. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's come and he wants to do business. He wants to clean things up. He wants to do this work of renewing, but it's not an easy work. It's sometimes a really hard work. It comes within relationships. He says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And he comes and he says, I want to call you to myself. I want you to leave others and I want you to come to me and allow me to be the one that brings the healing and restoration. But when we take that step into being, to be the ones that say, okay Christ, mine is yours, then sometimes that puts us in a position where others don't like the way that we're stepping into these moments. And it creates these tensions and these these difficulties that can happen within our relationships and it's hard and there's, there, 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 there's tension that goes with this journey and he acknowledges that. But it's not just a tension that can happen within relationships. There's, there's this tension within ourselves. He says to Mary, a sword will pierce your very own soul as well. That there would be this, this tension that would come within her and when Christ comes, he comes to do a work in us, my friends. He really does. He comes to do this cleaning work within us. And it's not always easy. There are times when it's difficult. I was listening to a speaker speak to this reality the other day. Uh, his name is Timothy Keller. And he was just talking about this idea that we live in this cultural season where our sense of identity, our sense of essence and significance, culturally we say comes from within. That who you are, who you feel yourself to be, that that is actually like the essence of your being, and that should define you. Unfortunately, I think that leaves us in really emotionally fragile places because our identity is at the whims of our emotional feelings in the moment. And, and if everyone around us won't affirm that experience, then we are left with this deep sense of brokenness. But Christ actually comes to do something different. He comes from without us to come in and transform us. He doesn't say that you are the definer of yourself. He says, I want to be the definer of who you are. And he takes this position because he is our creator. The problem is in a culture where we say who we are defined primarily from within and we hear that kind of language, that becomes very offensive to us. You know, he used this illustration. He said that if he, um, if he were to have a conversation with a Muslim uh, individual. And he said to that person who is of, of a Muslim um, uh, faith, I, I said to him, hey, Jesus is God, and he wants to come and transform your life. That, that person of, of, of Muslim faith would say, you're wrong. I believe Allah is God, and Allah wants to come and transform your life. However, if you were to come to a modern person now within our cultural positioning, who wasn't necessarily a person even of deep faith, and said, hey, there is a God, his name is Jesus, and he wants to come transform your life. Instead of saying you're wrong, they would say you are evil because you're trying to remove me. I am the definer of who I am. And Christ comes and says, no, no, I am the definer of who you are. I have created you, and I have come to recreate you because I love you, and this is the work I've done on the cross. 
And this is where we ultimately find our peace. When we come to this place and we say, okay, I accept your work in my life. And it's not going to be easy. It's hard. It's scary. Because he comes with the sword. And when we really begin to understand that he wants to be our definer, the one who identifies us, who recreates us, it means there's probably some things in our life that he's going to need to remove. There's probably some areas that that we have looked to, that we have given ourselves over to, maybe wounds that we have held on to that give us a a sense of right to want justice, maybe, maybe brokenness, maybe dreams, maybe relationships. There's these things that we've held on to that, that maybe are, some of them are even good things that have become ultimate things, as I've said. But Christ comes in and he says, no, I want to be the very center of your core. I want to be the very center of who you are. And we go, but Lord, if you take this from me, it's going to kill me. And, and Christ says, no, no, no. If I come to take it from you, it was never really supposed to be a part of you in the first place. It's actually not the wholeness of who you are. I am. And when we create space to invite him in, when we take the position of David in Psalm 139 and we say, know me, search me, see if there's anything in me that's not of you, Lord, and I surrender it to you, and we allow him to do the work of the surgeon, of the doctor, what in the moment feels like is killing us is actually healing us and restoring us and recreating us. And when we rest there, my friends, there is peace. There's peace. And Simeon knew this, right? He saw, he had this beautiful vision of Christ. He understood his great need for Christ. He was aware of his brokenness and the brokenness around him. He understood that only Christ could fill that need. He'd seen everything else. He'd experienced it. He'd acknowledged it. He had great self-awareness. He realized it didn't measure up. It couldn't deliver what it promised. Only Christ could ultimately do that. And he was aware of the cost of what it would look like to surrender to Christ. And he said, it's okay. I trust you. I trust that you are a surgeon, that you have come to bring healing even in the midst of the hurting. And I will just, I will give myself over to you. I will rest before you. And it transformed who he was. How beautiful would it be if we could create space to take that type of a disposition this season, you know? Uh, I was wondering, how would I, how would I do that? I think there's a couple of things really quick. Number one, I would want to create space to just be aware of my need for Christ. I just, I'd want to, I'd want to quit avoiding and quit pretending. I would just, I would just be quiet and say, okay, Lord, what are the things that, you know, are, are in my life that are broken, that aren't of your way, your kingdom way, your way of peace. Could you reveal those to you, to me? I just surrender them to you, and, and I want you to do that work in me. I'm not going to avoid them. I'm not going to pretend. I'm just going to acknowledge what they are, and I'll rest in your presence, acknowledging my brokenness. And we do that again by knowing that Christ is the safest place for broken people to come to because he's been broken for us. We go there. And then just taking space to just just acknowledge what are the things that I'm looking to to fill my need? What are the good things that have maybe become ultimate things that are you know, ultimately not fulfilling me the way that I, that I long for? And, I, and I'm finding myself in this season just journaling again. Are there good things in my life, Lord? Are there things I put my trust in that aren't you or aren't of you? And, and I want to hold those with an open hand and just renew my vision for you as the, as the one who defines and fills. And then third, I'm, I'm just trying to be aware are there difficulties that I'm avoiding that's keeping me from experiencing the peace of Christ, you know? Are there relationships that maybe I need to re-engage? <laughs> are there 
relationships that maybe I need to disengage from? Is there um, confession or, or is there forgiveness I need to seek? It's a terrible thing being a, a preacher because before you preach to anyone else, you have to preach to yourself. So this morning I'm writing texts of apologies to people that I need restoration, restoration with, you know. And, and I'm just saying, I want your peace, Lord. And this is your kingdom way. Your kingdom way is that we would be a people that wouldn't run from each other, but we would press into each other, and we would entrust that to you. And then I'm going, Lord, are there things in my life that I'm looking to define me that, that just have this grip? Why do I have these, these kind of these emotional spikes, these ups and downs? Is it an indication that maybe I'm finding myself in something significant that can't really deliver what it promises, you know? Maybe there's a fear there. And Lord, how could I... How could I come back to a place where I could entrust myself to you in deeper ways so that instead of the spikes, even in the midst of the chaos, I could experience your peace because you are the giver of peace. And I think that's what Christ is calling us to in this Christmas season, that we could rest with a, with a sense of the reality that he has come and the sense of the reality that he is coming, but also the sense of the reality that he is here that he is here and he is bringing peace. Father, I love you so much and I thank you for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a season again where we could just experience your wonderful presence in our lives. And Lord, that's not easy. We live in the midst of brokenness. We are broken. This is, this is the reality of who we are. But Father, you are not far from us. You are with us here through the work of your, of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, His resurrection, and the presence of your Holy Spirit, restoring, renewing, redeeming. I pray, Father, that, that your Spirit would lead us into the steps that we need to take that put ourselves in a position to not just know about your peace, but truly experience it in deep and real ways. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that work in us. And it wouldn't just be this one-time work, but this would be the way that we journey. This would be your kingdom way that we live in, Father, that not only would we have a great expectation, but we would experience you fulfilling that expectation in us. I pray this, Father, for your glory, for our joy, in your holy name. Amen.